0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Lori Campbell, and I'll be reading um, Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 from the NIV. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the authority, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. About these kind of things. I kept teasing her. And my daughter's response was, well, you know where I got that, don't you? And my response was, well, your mother, of course. And honestly, I believed the answer when I said it. I really wasn't... Whoa. I really wasn't kidding. I believed it. Are you hearing that the way I'm hearing that? Giant and huge? Okay. Yeah, I really believe that she got it from her mom, but uh, then I quickly realized that, uh, no, she was right. She probably got it from me, and that's what she pointed, my daughter quickly pointed out, that it was me. But then she said, well, you know how you hate anyone telling you what to do? And I thought, well, that's not true. That's not me. Now, that's your mother. That's not me. And She was quite clear, and Lori joined her in that, and suddenly they were teasing me instead of her, uh, telling me how I just can't listen to anybody, and I can't submit to authority and take orders from anyone. And and as I thought about it, I said to them, I said, well, actually, I have no problem submitting to authority as long as they agree with me and want to do what I want to do. I'm I'm pretty good with it in those cases. Uh, And it's true. That usually is when I'm fine with submitting to authority, when it's my way. Or when I really trust that they have my best interests at heart and they're doing it for me. Or, or when I believe that I somehow need their expertise, that, that they're good enough at something that I'll let you lead in that area. Because I kind of trust you in that area. Uh, sometimes it's hard to let go and let someone else lead. And if you're like me and submitting to others authority is sometimes a struggle for you, you probably don't like this passage very well. Uh, This is a much-discussed passage. It is one, I'm sure, from the time the first readers in Rome received it. It's probably had lots of discussion about what in the world is Paul saying here. And that discussion's gone on for centuries about it. Uh, And the problem isn't the lack of clarity in this passage. The problem is in this passage is that it is so clear and so direct and so all-inclusive in what it's saying says, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. To rebel against those authorities he even goes on to say, you're rebelling against what God has established. In a sense, you're rebelling against God when you rebel in those cases. Uh, That's pretty strong. And then it gets even harder when he says, rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Do what is right, and he, the, the ruler, will commend you. Uh, The ruler is God's servant to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And the reason that's so hard to hear is because we all know of examples where that's not true, right? We know of examples where governing authorities and governments actually punish and persecute those who do right. And we know of examples where they they are encouraging wrong sometimes and, and, and actually rewarding those who do wrong. So we know it's not always true. And again as I read this passage and a similar passage in 1st Peter uh, it struck me that of course Paul and Peter understood that also. Of course they understood that. Of course Paul understood as he wrote these words that there are cases where governments are actually punishing those who do good and encouraging and rewarding those who do evil. Of course they knew that. They've experienced that. Uh, This was actually a fairly peaceful time in Rome for Christians. Uh, These were, this letter is written in the early years of Nero's reign when he was young and still probably listening to some of his advisors quite a bit. We know that changed dramatically a few years later, but this was a fairly peaceful time. So some have argued, well, Paul said it just because this was a peaceful time, but again, I just think that's crazy. Paul was not naive to the reality of what governments and governing authorities can sometimes do and be. Uh, and he surely knew that even then, even during that time, Rome was pursuing priorities and actions that that were contrary to what Scripture teaches. He knew that, that that was still going on then. Uh, Paul absolutely knew the part that Rome played in the crucifixion of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he was a good student of Israel's history. He would have known all of those stories and all those times in the history of Israel where other countries sought to do evil and to do harm to the followers of God. He knew those stories. And we always have to remember when we read things like this, this is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit knew that only a few years later, Christians were going to be persecuted horribly, under horrible oppression under Nero. But that was soon to come. And I think all the New Testament writers knew that Rome was not a society or government that was built on Christian principles. Is a place where promiscuity was commonplace, idol worship was encouraged, abortion and infanticide uh, were widely accepted, and those five emperors from Augustus to Nero—they were men that were known for their for their love of power and their love of excess and their willingness to do violence to maintain those things. So again, as Paul's writing this, I'm sure he understands. This is these are not always good governments and good governing authorities. And yet he writes, no authority exists except what God has established. And he goes on and he describes for us a little bit God's purpose for governing authorities. Uh, He says they're to be an agent of wrath against those who do wrong, against wrongdoing. That's their calling. They're to commend those who do good and they're to do good for their citizens. Uh, In a sense, their job was to restrain evil and to promote the good. That's why God had put them in that place. That's their calling. You find similar instructions when you turn to 1 Peter 2. Read these words. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So so Paul and Peter both give us some clear reasons why as Christians we should submit to governing authorities. Uh, One is to avoid punishment, to avoid the sword. Uh, We shouldn't go out of our way to make life harder than it has to be. We shouldn't go out looking for a fight. That is not the Christian thing to do. If you can avoid punishment, please do. You can't always. We do know from Scripture that we, if we follow Christ, will sometimes suffer. We will sometimes face horrible resistance and oppression but we're not out looking for that you can avoid punishment sometimes by submitting you do so to silence as peter said the ignorant talk of foolish men you do it to avoid trouble and you do it to avoid giving ammunition to those who want to do harm to the cause of christ you don't go out of your way to make it easy submit to governing authorities as you can and where you can and you do it because of conscience, he says. You do it trusting that God has established those governments and put them there, and he's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And you do it ultimately submitting to him, not to them. And then they give very specific instructions about what that submission looks like. Romans thirteen seven: Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. And that's probably a reference to just another kind of tax. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Even encourages them to pay taxes knowing that that money will sometimes fund immoral activities. But still tells them, pay your taxes. First Peter 2.17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And again, Peter knew the kind of men he was telling them to honor when he said honor the emperor. 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray for them that they will do what God has called them to do, to restrain evil promote and to reward good so that we as followers of Christ can live quiet and peaceful lives so that we can pursue godliness and holiness and live the lives that God has called us to be as individuals and as the church pray they would do what they should do so we will be free to do what we are first called to do so the question then becomes and that's why there's so much discussion about this is there a time to resist and push back against government authorities And I would say, of course. Of course there is. So it doesn't say it here. But of course, Paul, I think, understood that. And Paul understood that his listeners would understand that. That of course, and the reason they would understand that, because they have all know the stories that they have heard again and again. The stories they have been taught. The stories from Israel's history and the stories of the church now. That were going on. Times when people did resist when they did say no to governing authorities. And they did so to follow God. And those are held up as examples to them. Of course Paul knew there were times to do that. One of those examples, Acts 5, 27 to 29. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. high priest says, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching And are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied. We must obey God rather than human beings. We must. There are times when we must say no to what you're telling us to do. And when they left that meeting. When they finally left that meeting. They went out and began teaching in the temple courts again. Because there are times that we must obey God. And that will put us in opposition with those governing authorities. Peter this is the same Peter who will later write, for the Lord's sake, submit to, every, submit to every authority instituted among men. Again, Peter understood. Yes, submit to every authority instituted over men. But there are times when you must resist. And the Sanhedrin and the high priests, they were not only the religious authorities over the Jewish community in Jerusalem at that time, they were also the governing authorities. Now the Herod's, were there placed there to rule over Palestine by Rome but still within the Jewish community the Sanhedrin was both the religious and the government the ruling authorities and Peter knew there were times that no we can't do what you're telling us to do there are times where we must resist I think another clear example from scripture comes from the story of Daniel and his three friends they were consistently faithful to God right consistently, yet they obeyed the demands of a pagan Babylon and served to advance their purposes in many ways. I think it's a story that shows us that obedience to God doesn't require resistance at every point where obeying government may come into conflict with biblical values. We don't have to stand up and say no all the time every time we disagree. Uh, Clearly Daniel and his friends did not. But It's also an example of resistance when submitting would have meant compromising their relationship with God, when not doing something that God had clearly told them to do, or doing something that God had clearly told them not to do. There was a time when they did have to resist. And I think that's because they understood that the authority that any government has is actually a derived authority. It is authority that God has given them as he has placed them uh, over a nation and over a community. The ultimate source of that authority? God. He has given them authority and he tells us to submit to that authority. But there are times when those two authorities, the authority of God and the authority has given them, those governing officials, will be in conflict. There are times that will happen. And in those times, of course, we submit to the source of the authority, not the derived authority. Of course, we submit to the one who is the higher authority in those cases. Now, I say all that, I say, of course, and I think it's still hard. It is still hard to discern. It still takes incredible wisdom to make those decisions, I think. Uh, A lot of times we turn to this all-or-nothing kind of decision-making. It's God or man. Ah, I just found error in what you said. Now I get to refuse you, turn my back on you, rebel against you, resist you in every way, because it's all-or-nothing. And I would say you don't find that in the examples in Scripture of these people who resisted. They still submitted where they could submit. I'm sure they still paid their taxes. I'm sure they still showed respect and honor where they could show respect and honor. You see it in Daniel and the way that he responded to Nebuchadnezzar. They still submitted where they could submit. But there were times they said, no, I absolutely cannot. I think they were also creative. You look at Daniel 1. It's interesting. When When Daniel and his Friends were asked to eat food and drink wine that they felt would violate their relationship with God, that they found a creative way to get around that. I said no, but they didn't just stand up and plant their feet and say no. They found a creative way to resist, to in some ways submit, but in some ways still say no. I remember when I went to work for the government years ago. I went to work in a jail as a counselor, and I was hired by uh, a mental health unit that was the government they paid my checks Uh, they were the boss and when i went to work for them my boss sat me down because she knew i had been a pastor right before taking that job and she sat me down and made very clear to me uh, you are not a pastor here you are not here to be a chaplain you are here to be a mental health counselor that's your job i do not want you You know, initiating conversations about the Bible and religion and spiritual things. I don't want you doing that. That's not your job. And I said to her, oh, I understand that. So tell me, let's make clear where my boundaries are. I just want to understand them clearly. Because I know there are going to be times that people are going to talk about things when we're talking about their life where Scripture has the best answers, where Scripture has what they need to hear. So help me understand the boundaries. And she said, well, they have to initiate those conversations. You can't. And I said, well, how about if I say this sometimes? If I have something come up that I think is of a religious, spiritual, biblical nature, and I would like to talk with them about it, can I say something like, you know, I have something I'd love to talk with you about that I think fits what we're talking about, but it is of a spiritual or biblical nature. And and. That's always your right to talk about or not talk about. I don't want to bring that up. if You're uncomfortable with that. How about if I say something like that to them? Would that be okay? He said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Just document it that that's what you said. But, yeah, that would be just fine. You can do that. I never once had a man or woman, one of the inmates that I counseled, that I said that to that did not say to me, yes, let's please talk about those things. Never once. Matter of fact, what eventually happened is other counselors who worked in that mental health unit uh, knew about those conversations that I had and eventually would always ask me to come talk to the people they were counseling if anything spiritual came up. Because, well, we know you talk about those things. So, so I became the counselor chaplain in the jail for those two years. And again, because I think there are a lot of times we can, instead of just saying, let's fight the boundaries. Are there ways to serve Christ within those boundaries? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it truly is. But are there ways to be obedient to and follow and serve Christ within the boundaries? And I think a lot more times than we uh, sometimes face, there are. But no matter what we do when it comes to governing authorities and the laws of the land and all those things, the one thing I want to tell you is Romans 13 should be an encouragement to all of us. And the reason it should be an encouragement, no matter what happens, is because what it says to us is God's in charge. Ultimately, any government only is there and established because of God, only has any authority because of God. He is in charge. If they do good, if they do bad, if they do right, if they do wrong, they have no power over him. God will still accomplish his purposes. We don't have to fear that. God is in charge, has the power. God will accomplish his purposes. We can be sure of that. I love a statement that I read by Chuck Colson. He wrote this way back in 1992. Uh, So this wasn't about any current political issue. Wrote a long time. ago, And Chuck Colson, as you know, he knew something about power in government. He knew something about how that power could be used for good and bad. Uh, He knew something about the temptation of power in government. He wrote these words. Today's misspent enthusiasm for political solutions to the moral problems of our culture arises from the distorted view of both politics and Christianity. Too low a view of the power of a sovereign God and too high a view of the ability of man. The idea that human systems reformed by Christian influence paved the road to the kingdom, or at least to revival, has the same utopian ring that one finds in Marxist literature. It also ignores the consistent lesson of history that shows that laws are most often reformed as a result of powerful spiritual movements, not vice versa. That that's how real change happens. Now, I say that, and I want to clearly say, and God says in passages like Romans 13 and First Peter 2, government matters. Don't want to dismiss that. He can work through governments, and he does. It matters. But I want to say that sometimes we get those things out of order. Uh, I think one of the misunderstandings that seems to have infiltrated the church in America, I think a lot of times for good, out of good motives, but I think it's still errant, is this belief that God has called us to build a Christian nation, that that's our, that's our purpose. But real moral and spiritual reform will come Uh, not through getting all the right governing authorities in place and the right laws in place. That's not how ultimately lasting change is going to happen. Again, government matters. God uses government to restrain evil, to bring good into this world. I love the work of groups like IJM, International Justice Ministries. They go into countries around the world, and they fight through the laws of those countries to to sometimes change laws or sometimes simply to get them to use their laws and enforce their laws to protect those who are most vulnerable in those countries, to restrain evil and to promote good. I love that kind of work. But again, if you want lasting change and spiritual change, that's, that's not the place we should first look. The place we first look is to Christ and to his church. That's where that, that work that lasts, that work that's going to have an eternal impact, that's where that takes place. Trumper Longman, a Bible scholar uh, who I really respect and like his writings, he wrote this. This will be my last quote. He wrote this. No nation today, including America, holds the same status as ancient Israel did in the Old Testament period. Indeed, as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that God's people move from being a nation state to being the church, drawn from many nations and ethnicities. To treat America as if it has some kind of favored divine status or rule is not only mistaken, but potentially idolatrous. Now, that's a strong statement, right? That, that sounds really strong. But I think what he's saying when he says it's potentially idolatrous, he is not saying, I know Trumper, and I don't think this is what he's saying. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to love your country. I don't think he's saying it's wrong this weekend to celebrate the 4th of July and celebrate it big. I don't think he's saying it's wrong that you go out and you, in a month that you cheer for, you know, the American teams to win in the Olympics. I don't think he's saying any of those things. When something becomes idolatry, it's, it's when a love is disordered when it's put in a place it shouldn't be, when it's out of order, there's nothing wrong with loving our country. I love my country. And I'm happy to say that. Uh, And if you're from another country, hope you love your country. That's great. Cheer for your country in the Olympics. That's great. Celebrate those times that celebrate your country. That's great. But let's not get things out of order. Let's not put that some kind of nationalism above our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Let's not forget that we are foreigners and aliens in this world, citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's be good foreigners and aliens. Let's, let's use the rights that our governments give us and use them well. Let's submit to them. Let's vote. Let's write our uh, governmental leaders. Let's pray for them. Let's use the opportunities we have to help government During this in-between time, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ, and we're told it will come. In this in-between time, I think government is one of the ways that God shows his common grace in this world. He restrains evil. He promotes good through government. It's not the ultimate. It's not where lasting change will come. But it's important. Let's support that. Let's work through that. Let's join God in bringing that common grace to our world through government, where and when we can. But let's not get things out of order. Let's not put things where they shouldn't be. Because ultimately, sometimes I think we get, we get caught up in saying we need to make the world out there into what it should be. We need to Christianize the world out there. We need to get them to be morally right and do all the right things. And again, I think we ought to have an influence. But our real focus, I think, should be Let us, the church, become who we're called to be. Let us live the life that we're called to live. Let us be the kind of people who love the way we're called to love. Let's be the kind of community that is a shining light to the world around us that says, yes, the kingdom of God, living under God's rule, has changed our lives. We are transformed people because of it. Our life has transformed, our community has transformed. And we want to be a shining light in our world that says, and you're invited in. You're invited in. Join us. Join us through faith in Jesus Christ. Through the good news of what Jesus Christ has done, you're invited in. Join us. Let's first and foremost be the people of God we're called to be. I love the uh, words that precede both passages in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2. Uh, Right at the end of chapter 12 in Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's be so good that we overcome the evil in our world. Or these words in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's be the church. Let's be the people of God. Let's love well. Let's love each other well. And let's invite others in. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that we are in a, that we live in a country where Um, We do know a great deal of peace. Uh, Father, we do know freedom from much chaos. Where we live under the rule of a government, that even though there are things we may disagree with, where in many ways uh, we are blessed to to have freedoms as believers. To be able to speak the truth freely uh, without fear of punishment. To be able to um, share the gospel. To teach the truth about Jesus Christ in our communities and love well to meet together like this today and we are thankful for those things Father we pray that um, you would continue to give us leaders that um, that would pursue good that would protect the good and that would restrain evil but Father we know that ultimately our hope our hope for lasting change our hope for the kind of kingdom we long for is to found only in Christ we are thankful it's come And we look forward to that day when Jesus will come again and all things will be as they should. In your name, amen.